This week, C-SPAN was on the road in Iowa and New Hampshire as candidates closed in on the final week before the first votes are cast in 2024's presidential election. We'll take you to Iowa, where Governor Ron DeSantis was out campaigning, and Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene was stumping for former President Trump. And in New Hampshire, we'll see fellow Republicans Chris Christie meeting with voters and Nikki Haley making her latest round through the Granite State. But first, a conversation with a Politico reporter about a recent spate of endorsements for former President Donald Trump. Burgess Everett, Political Congressional Bureau Chief, is joining us to talk about the latest from campaign 2024. Burgess, your headline on a recent piece is GOP's most Trump skeptical block starts falling in line. What did you report? Yeah, um, three years ago, it'd be hard to imagine uh, that the Senate Republicans would start to line up behind Donald Trump after January 6th. Uh, This was a group of people that were pretty much ready to move on to a new candidate. Uh, But what's happened over the past year is that he has no real challenger. And President Trump has been putting in a ton of work behind the scenes um, to try to get support from Republican senators. And so what we're seeing is just as we're speaking, um, a, a 19th Senator, Tom Cotton, somebody who might have White House ambitions in the future, just uh, got behind uh, Donald Trump. Uh, we've seen some people, including the North Dakota senators who previously endorsed Doug Burgum, the governor, um, endorsed President Trump, former President Trump as well. So we're seeing a consolidation at this point before a single voter has gone to the primary polls. Uh, and I expect this to accelerate, particularly if Trump can follow through on these big leads he has over Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis in the early states. Is the former president leading those contenders, those other candidates in endorsements? A hundred percent. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have a a handful of congressional endorsements on the House side between them and no Senate endorsements. I think there probably was an opportunity for both, especially Ron DeSantis, to get a bunch uh, last year. But as he has faded and as Trump has stayed very strong in the polls, that that opportunity seems to have gone away because at first there were quite a few Republicans who think Donald Trump is unelectable and we're looking for a new candidate. Now we'll see if Nikki Haley can pull off a, a win in New Hampshire. I, I would not be surprised to see some of the anti-Trump uh, or, or Trump skeptical forces in the party uh, get behind her, but she's, she needs to win first. You mentioned the work that the former president has done behind the scenes. What has he said to these senators to now get them to come out and endorse him? Yeah, I think I've got two good examples for you. One is Josh Hawley. He's a Republican from Missouri who led the election charges, one of two senators who led the uh, challenges to the election in 2020. Uh, He had said, I will support Donald Trump. I think he's going to be the nominee. It's an inevitable. But behind the scenes, former President Trump was calling him up and saying, I need that endorsement. I need like that actual endorsement. He wants it on the list of endorsements and he got it. Another example is John Hoven. Um, he's from North Dakota. He had endorsed Governor Burgum. Uh, even while he was endorsing Doug, Doug Burgum, Trump was talking to Hoven and asking, hey, if Doug drops out, will you please endorse me? That's exactly what happened. And Hoven now backs him. So I think those are a couple examples of how he's working behind the scenes to get that backing from Senate Republicans. Any Senate Republican leaders endorsing candidates? John Thune, the minority whip, who uh, is one of the contenders to replace eventually Mitch McConnell as GOP leader, endorsed Tim Scott early on, 
He was the highest ranking Republican to weigh in early on. Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, has dropped out. So Thune uh, is now neutral. He says he likes what he's hearing from Haley. I think he's one of those people that could be in play if she uh, does very well in New Hampshire. Uh, but at this point, no, they are all neutral. Uh, all say they will support the nominee. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these early states, especially Iowa, where you have Joni Ernst, uh, the number four Republican leader, and Chuck Grassley, who's the most senior Republican senator. What will they do if President Trump wins in Iowa? Uh, I think that's going to they're going to be under a lot of pressure to back him quickly. And what about Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate and his relationship with former President Trump? Yeah, that's uh, a huge elephant in the room, uh, so to speak, for the Republican Party. Uh, Mitch McConnell has no working relationship with Donald Trump. Um, He sort of uh, outsourced the political partnership between Senate Republicans to the National Republican Senatorial Committee's Steve Daines, who endorsed Trump early. But the key here is Senator McConnell says he will back the nominee. And if Donald Trump who looks like the the severe favorite to become the nominee at this point, wins the nomination, it seems like he'll at least get that pro forma endorsement from Mitch McConnell, even though they could not be more different and and they are totally unaligned on most big issues. And will a former president care if Mitch McConnell endorses him? Look, I don't even know if that's an endorsement that Trump would want at this point. He has been calling for McConnell to go as leader for a Several years, he encouraged Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, to challenge Mitch McConnell last year. Rick Scott did challenge Mitch McConnell, but lost handily. Yet just the challenge and the backing of 10 other senators uh, has kind of created a, an ongoing split in the Republican Party uh, in, in the Senate. And so uh, I don't know that Trump wants that endorsement. And I don't know that Mitch McConnell is necessarily going to serve another term as leader if Trump is president or the nominee. So we're going to see this all come to the head in the next few months. And I, I honestly don't, if anyone tells you what's going to happen, they, they're lying to you. Moving over to, the, over to the House side for Republicans, who has the most endorsements? Yeah, uh, Trump has an even stronger lock on the House Republicans. A handful of members have endorsed uh, DeSantis or um, Nikki Haley. Uh, But at this point, uh, Trump now has the backing of the top three Republican leaders, Tom Emmer, the whip, uh, Steve Scalise, the majority leader, both endorsed Trump this week. And Mike Johnson was fairly quick, the new speaker, to endorse Trump after winning the speakership. Uh, So there's a definite schism, a split right now between the two chambers of Congress and the Republican leadership on getting behind Trump early. A lot of that's due to the fact that the House uh, has more gerrymandered districts where losing a primary challenge is the biggest threat to your general election. And so you're seeing um, a lot of folks whose whose constituents are pro-Trump getting behind him earlier in the House. So the Senate's a bit of a lagging indicator. Uh, The House was definitely in front uh, with regards to getting those endorsements for President Trump. Why do these candidates seek endorsements from members of Congress? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Uh, you know, and especially as we see that versus the two early state governors, Kim Reynolds uh, and Chris Sununu, who have endorsed other candidates besides Trump. Uh, I don't know that an individual senator's endorsement matters in terms of who wins, uh, especially if it's someone not from the state. But Trump really values endorsements. They're super important to him. Um, He uses them almost as currency uh, in in politics. I think a great example is him endorsing J.D. Vance in the 2022 Ohio primary. Um, J.D. Vance won, endorsed Trump, one of the first members to endorse Trump's uh, third bid for the White House. 
Uh, and, and now Trump is backing J.D. Vance's preferred candidate in Ohio. So you can kind of see from there how, how Trump uses um, endorsements to to sort of uh, affect his brand of politics across the Republican Party. Burgess Everett, Politico's Congressional Bureau Chief. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Next, we're in Keokuk, Iowa. That's where Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia was stumping for former President Donald Trump. Here's a bit of her interaction with caucus goers and the press, including questions on a local school shooting. All right, Iowa. I tell you what, I'm so excited to be here. It's like starting off the primary election with the Super Bowl, which I think is really wild. You know, in Georgia, we just go and vote in a primary, but you guys have this caucus system, and I had to learn all about it uh, just a few months ago so I could understand what you go through. Um, I'm a competitive person, so I think it's pretty awesome, and I am expecting guys, I'm counting on you guys to turn out big for President Trump. And I never got tired of winning. I don't think you did either. And I think we need some more winning. And America's losing right now. And none of us like it. And it's, it's been a shocking experience the past few years, ever since the Biden administration took over in Washington. But I want to go back in time a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about me um, and tell you why I support President Trump and why I ran Congress. You see, I never thought I would get into politics. I never had any political aspirations. Uh, I spent most of my adult life running a construction company and raising my kids and uh, pretty much looking at Washington saying that they're the cause of all of our problems. And then when President Trump ran in 2015 in that primary, that was the first time I ever saw a political candidate stand on a, a presidential stage and speak a language that I understood. He talked like regular Americans. And I supported him from day one. And I'm so excited we elected him in 2016. And we already know what President Trump is capable of. We had him as president for four years. I know that those were the best four years that America had. And we need him back in the White House, right? You know, whenever these events happen, there's always calls for Congress to act. What action do you think Congress will take in response to shootings like this, if any? Repeal gun-free school zones. And that's what Joe Biden did to America. We need to protect kids in school the exact same way we protect politicians the same way we protect Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, me, Nancy Pelosi, everyone. Protect kids in school with men with guns. We know that this Saturday is the anniversary of January 6th. I know you were set to host an event in Florida, but the venue canceled that. What's your reaction to that? They said they weren't aware of the nature of the event. Um, I really don't understand the point of your question. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Thought, are you planning on... Special to be about yeah, are we talking about President Trump? <laughs> are we talking about Iowa? Hey, are, are you guys all supporting President Trump? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 You're asking me stupid questions here on NBC. 
see. Sorry, we were just curious if you're planning on rescheduling that event or trying to hold it at a different venue. Well, I, I'm, I'm just curious, what's the point of your question? I'm here supporting President Trump and I. On that topic, uh, what's the, you know, President Trump, he's having a host of surrogates here this week. He hasn't been here with some of his opponents. Do you think he should have been here more, or do you think he didn't need to? President Trump has been in Iowa nonstop. I mean, if you look at his website, he's got multiple events coming up. He's doing two a day. How many events are Joe Biden doing? He won't even talk to the press in the White House press briefings. So President Trump is campaigning. He's doing a great job. Okay, and I'm curious, what qualities do you think he should be looking for in any sort of running? That's up to President Trump. We'll choose who his vice president is, and I think he'll make a great choice. All right, we asked uh, Christine Ong yesterday about if she thinks he should pick up women. Do you have any sort of take on that? I trust President Trump to choose whoever he wants. All right, thank you so much. Yeah, you're Governor Ron DeSantis was in Iowa in recent days, touring with Hawkeye State Governor Kim Reynolds, who endorsed him. Here's some of his recent visit to Elkader, Iowa, where he met with voters. Well, thank you. Thank you all for coming. We're excited to be here. Um, you know, one of the things we were able to do over the course of uh, campaigning in Iowa was just as a guy that grew up playing baseball all the way through college, uh, I remember being a kid uh, watching this movie about them building a baseball field in the middle of the cornfield, the field of dreams. And um, when we were coming up, to started coming up to Iowa, I would show my young kids. So we have a first grader, kindergartner, and pre-K three. And I would start showing them like the appropriate parts of the movie, the baseball players coming out of the cornfield, all the other stuff, uh, doing that. And we eventually got to do an event at the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, which was really cool. My kids got to play and everything. But I remember being at the Clayton County Fair, and we had some time before the bus left to the next stop. And so my son, who's five, you know, had his baseball glove and stuff. So we're just out there by, by the corn. You know, we're just playing catch back and forth, kind of father and son. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, Dad, is this heaven? And I said, no, son, it's Iowa. Now he knows that now he knows what to say. So sometimes when we're there, when we're up here by the by the corn, I will say him. I'll say, Mason, is this heaven? He's like, no, dad, this is Iowa. You know that. So we're excited to be here. We're excited to be in the home stretch for the Iowa caucus. I want to thank uh, Governor Reynolds for her support. As the governor of Florida, I have a unique window in what goes on in this country. Because every time one of these blue states does something stupid, I gain more residents in my state. People flee Chicago. They flee Los Angeles. They flee New York. They flee Minnesota because the policies are destructive and their quality of life diminishes, their freedom diminishes. And Florida has really been the refuge that people have escaped to. So I talk to people when they come. And they talk about how dysfunctional Illinois is. They talk about how bad California is. When I'm in Bonita Springs or Marco Island in the wintertime and I meet Iowans who are on vacation spending part of the year, they're very happy with how Iowa's governed. They're very happy to have Governor Reynolds 
uh, and the legislature do such a great job. And I see that personally, dealing with people just from the Midwest, how they view Iowa. So you're lucky to have a very strong and effective governor. She's delivered huge results for this state. Um, And clearly, as you look around uh, this region, uh, Illinois, Minnesota, look at your neighbors. You're lucky to have the governor that you have here in Iowa. Uh, I can tell you that. Earlier today you mentioned um, that the former president wouldn't take questions from students at Dort University. Do you think that's because Trump doesn't have the mental capacity or strength to do so? I think it's because he doesn't want to answer questions about his record. I think he would rather just, I mean, look, I get why he's doing it. I mean, he's got uh, cable news networks that basically 24-7 pump him up. Um, no, no at all critical appraisal of anything that's been done, uh, from Fauci to the letting the BLM riots burn down cities uh, to um, uh, the spending that was totally out of control. So I don't think he wants to answer his questions. I think that's why he hasn't debated, because I think he would, he would be asked those questions. That's why he doesn't typically even give interviews anymore outside of a few uh, kind of hand-picked ways. And the question is for Iowa, Iowa voters and, and the early state voters beyond that is, uh, is that something that, that, that is good enough uh, for, for a candidate who is not the same candidate he was in 2015 and 2016? Uh, he's not been willing to come here and answer questions. He's not been willing to do. He parachutes in for 30, 45 minute hour speech and then just leaves uh, rather than listening to Iowans, answering questions uh, and doing, I think, what it takes uh, to, to win. And I think that people are going to see on caucus night that that is going to make have a big impact um, on how he's done it. But we've answered every question. People come and they ask whatever they want. And that's just uh, the nature of, I think, what you have to do. And if you're not willing to do that, you know, are you going to be the, our best candidate going forward? Also, just, you know, what's his path to victory? I mean, he was the incumbent president in 2020, uh, couldn't get the job done. Now he's out of office. Uh, how is he going to be able to do better this time? Who are, who are the voters out there that have not voted for him in the past that all of a sudden are going to be running uh, back to want to vote for him? I think the Democrats have a very strong playbook as to how to handle him and approach him. Working. Governor, do you think today on Fox News, you referenced uh, Nikki Haley alluding to just her running for vice president in this race right now. Do you think to be a successful Republican in the future, you have to in some way, as a candidate or a politician, appease Donald Trump? Well, look, the, the VP thing is, is, is a different, I think, question just in the sense that uh, are you running to win or not? And I think she's clearly, I mean, they're spending gobs of money against me. Uh, they're not spending money against Donald Trump. So that, that, that's an indication they may not be playing to win. But then, two, she is the darling of these never-Trump voters. She is getting massive amounts of money from liberal Democrats in California, liberal Democrats on Wall Street who view her as like an anti-Trump. And yet, if she's angling at the same time to be his vice president, where's the truth in advertising about that? So the way to clear it up is just to definitively answer the question, uh, would you accept yes or no? And she's not willing to do that. She gives these word salads. uh, And I think that that's just something that's not given the position that she staked out with courting these never Trumpers. uh, It's just not a sustainable position. So will she answer the question, yes or no, voters deserve an answer. And and I'll answer that. I don't think she's going to actually answer that question because she's going to leave every option open on the table that she can. Because the governor's right. She's taking money from the most liberal companies in the country, including BlackRock, et cetera, while at the same time trying to placate 
former President Trump because it's always about keeping options open. If you're in it to win it, you're in it to save the country. Governor DeSantis is in it to save the country, not just a notch on the belt to move to the next level politically. The battle for the Republican presidential nomination is also playing out on Iowa's airwaves. NBC reported this week that more than $100 million has been spent in Iowa on broadcast advertising, with $7.5 million booked this month ahead of the Hawkeye State's caucuses, scheduled for Monday the 15th. Nikki Haley and her affiliated Political Action Committee has the biggest buys so far, according to agency Ad Impact. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is second in spending, with $1.2 million in ads booked by his campaign and multiple affiliated PACs. Former President Trump was expected to spend just under $1 million in the following two weeks. Rounding out the lower end of the ad buys are Pastor Ryan Binkley, who plans to spend about $175,000 ahead of the caucuses, and businessman Viveki Ramaswamy, with just under $30,000 in spending. Next, two of the most recent ads released this week by the Trump and Haley campaigns. Record numbers streaming across our border, costing taxpayers billions, and almost as many Americans killed from fentanyl as killed in World War II. Yet Haley and Biden oppose Trump's border wall, confirm warnings of terrorists sneaking in through our southern border. Yet Haley joined Biden in opposing Trump's visitor ban from terrorist nations. Haley's weakness puts us in grave danger. Trump's strength protects us. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Nikki Haley has a 17-point lead over Joe Biden. Ron DeSantis consistently trails. His campaign has been floundering. The support from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis plummeting. You can't beat Trump by trying to be Trump. And you can't stop wasteful Washington spending when you already voted to add trillions in national debt. Ron DeSantis, he's phony, he's failing, He's just too weak to win. SFA Fund Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Also this week, ABC News compiled data on how many times each Republican presidential hopeful visited Iowa from September through the end of 2023. Governor DeSantis was a distant second in the number of visits behind businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, who had 192. Nikki Haley was in third, with 35 visits to the Hawkeye State. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie didn't visit the state at all. But he was a regular in the Granite State last year, ABC's analysis showed. With 39 visits, he was the second most seen Republican in New Hampshire in the final months of 2023. He was just ahead of Nikki Haley, with two dozen visits to the first in the nation primary state. Next, a visit with the curator of Drake University's caucus collection. We are in Drake University Archives and Special Collections in Cole's Library on the campus of Drake University. My name is Hope Bibbins. I'm the Director of Archives and Special Collections here at Drake. So today I pulled out a selection of materials from our Iowa Caucus collection. We started collecting for this um, collection late 2014, early 2015, around the time of the, the 2016 caucus cycle. Um, it's a collection of campaign ephemera that we started collecting. Um, and so I pulled out just a little bit of things um, to give you a sampling of what, what we have in our collection. So in the box is um, some campaign mailers and other um, campaign literature. So Iowans get a lot of campaign mailers in the mail, um, other things that they pick up. So we asked for them to send those in to us. And so I thought I'd just share um, 
a piece from this box. Um, we organized them by candidate and by year. Um, so in this box from um, 2016, we have a Ted Cruz for President coloring book. This was uh, aimed at uh, kids, perhaps, or families? At children, families, yes. So um, activity book, I guess, as well. So. So we um, collect really basically anything that Iowans might have, you know, sitting in their basements or, or attics. Um, so we tried to just get as much as we could. So we have things, you know, Mitt Romney mitt, uh, foam mitt, um, to bumper stickers. So um, I tried to pull out some more Iowa-specific bumper stickers. So this is a Hogs for Edwards um, Support the Family Farm. Along the same lines, uh, Bush Cheney Farm and Ranch team. And then this one here um, is more of the campaign literature. This is Jesse Jackson, a fighter for farmers and ranchers. So some of the more Iowa specific pieces. So this is a t-shirt. Um, it says Dean Precinct Captain. So this would have been the t-shirt that the precinct captain for Howard Dean would have worn um, at the caucus that evening. So we have a lot of t-shirts like this that are specific to um, the caucus night themselves. Yes, um, so you'll see we have um, Pat Buchanan potholder. Um, it says, I voted for Pat Buchanan, Iowa straw poll, 1999. And this is an autographed piece. So we do have some autographed pieces in the collection as well. Um, and so that would have been something that someone at the straw poll would have picked up. Um, Herman Cain. Um, for President 2012 Cup. Um, it says, how's that working out for you? And then um, Obama, uh, rural Iowans for Obama hat. Yes. yes, so the fans are a popular item at the state fair. Um, so you'll see when um, a candidate's on the soapbox, a lot of folks will have the, the fans. So we have um, Ron Paul 2012 and then an Orrin Hatch um, fan as well. So these next two are items from um, Lamar Alexander. Um, and I honestly am not sure what came in this jar, um, but it says, get a taste of true leadership and experience the flavor of a presidential candidate who's not afraid to take a bite out of the real issues. So if anyone knows what was in these, we would love to know that. Um, and then um, this is the, the Plaid Pass Republican Party of Iowa's straw poll um, in 1999. So this person was a guest of Lamar Alexander at the straw poll. So this one is um, a precinct captain guide from caucus night 2008 um, from Iowans for Hillary. And so it kind of has color-coded um, guides just to walk her precinct captains through um, caucus night, Talk, uh, talking points, um, the caucus process itself, just to help them feel um, more prepared going into to caucus night. So that's a unique, um, a unique piece to have as well. I tried to pull out um, a collection of pins that were Iowa specific. We get a lot of the general pins that you see, um, you know, throughout the country, but then there are some that are that are Iowa specific. Um, Reagan Bush um, caucus kickoff in 84, um, 
Obama precinct captain. A lot of these are going to be precinct captain buttons just to identify that person, that point person at the caucus site. Um, Iowa for Pete, um, Pete Buttigieg this past cycle. Um, a Gary Hart um, for president um, with some specific Iowa caucus um, language there. Bob Dole, similar with the date, the date of the caucus. Hillary um, for Iowa precinct leader again. Another precinct captain with the John Edwards um, 08. And then this last one is actually from um, Democratic presidential debate in Des Moines um, in January 1980. Next, we're on to the Granite State. That's where Republican Nikki Haley met with New Hampshire voters this past week, including the stop in Londonderry. Someone asked me when I announced why I was running. I said, you know, my parents came here 50 years ago to an America that was strong and proud and full of opportunities. I want them to know that country again. I'm doing this for my husband, Michael, and his military brothers and sisters. They need to know their sacrifice matters. They need to know that we love our country. I'm doing this for my daughter who just got married, and I saw how hard it was for her and her husband to buy a home. The average home buyer in America now is 49 years old. And I'm doing this for my son, who's a senior in college. And I am tired of watching him write papers of things he doesn't believe in just to get an A. That's not us. That's not America. And for the first time, 81% of Americans have said they don't think their kids are going to live as good of a life as we did. We can't be okay with that. I'm not okay with that. We do have a country to save. But I'll promise you this. If you will join with us in this movement, if you will join with us in this fight, if you will go tell 10 people and tell them to go to NikkiHaley.com and take a yard sign with you and spread the word, I promise you our best days are yet to come. Thank you very much. God bless you. Ambassador, thank you for doing this again. So first of all, little Hannah, she's 10 years old. She's come to a bunch of your events and she adores you and she looks up to you. What does that mean when you see young kids in your audience, particularly young women, looking up to you? I love that. We see it in the young ones. We see it in the teenagers. We see it in the college students. We see it in the young professionals. Strong girls become strong women. Strong women become strong leaders. And any way we can encourage them to find the power of their voice, we want to do it. And they're coming out of Woodworks, and I couldn't be more proud. And when I talk to voters who come to your town halls, a lot of them voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020, and now they're planning on voting for you in the primary. What does that tell you? I voted for him in 2016 and 2020. But the reality is chaos follows him. Rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And we can't go through four more years of chaos. We've got a country in disarray, a world on fire, we've got to make sure we go with a new generational leader that doesn't have the negativity and the baggage. And that's our goal. That's what we want to make sure that we do going forward. We can't survive four years of that. We can't survive a President Kamala Harris. We've got to get this right. Next, a look at how coverage of Miss Haley's recent swing through New Hampshire played out on local television station WMUR in Manchester. 
How many of you are hearing me in a town hall setting for the first time? The New Hampshire momentum still appears to be going strong for Nikki Haley as she makes her final Granite State swing before turning her focus to the Iowa caucuses now just 12 days away. So we're headed to Iowa tomorrow. You know, I think people are energized. They're ready. We want to be strong in Iowa. We want to be strong in New Hampshire. We want to be strong in South Carolina. And I think that we're continuing to play hard in every state. We're not picking one state over another state. We're doing them all. In a jam-packed saddle-up saloon in Kingston, Haley's top New Hampshire ally. Governor Chris Sununu didn't shy away from setting high expectations. Nikki's going to shock everyone, I think, with a second strong second place finish in the Iowa caucus. Um, I think there's going to be some more consolidation. It's really a one-on-one race, and that's what we've always been, been looking for. With an overflow crowd watching a video feed from the next room, Haley told voters if elected president, she'd stop the record-breaking flow of migrants into the U.S. You see these cities and these mayors uh, asking for help now. Is there a federal role in figuring out what to do with all of these people? There is a federal role in closing the border, the southern border and the northern border, once and for all. While former President Donald Trump still appears to have a commanding lead in the polls, some voters we spoke with here believe this race is very much in play. There's a lot of people who are on that bandwagon that haven't really listened to some of the other people. Once her message does get out, and if she's doing as much as she's doing over the next few weeks, I think her message will get out, and I think some of those Trumpers will go her way. In Kingston, Adam Sexton, WMUR News 9. Republican presidential hopeful Chris Christie was also in New Hampshire over the past week. The latest poll of New Hampshire Republican voters showed him in third place behind former President Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. Next, a portion of a recent town hall in Seabrook, New Hampshire, where the former New Jersey governor talked about his strategy to win and met with some of those in attendance. Um, My question is, um, as we fast forward into January, if you are successful in the primary season here, what's the strategy forward into the future states and South Carolina? And what what can you do to really send your message out to the greater conservative uh, population. Well, we've campaigned in South Carolina and we'll continue to campaign in South Carolina. But the next really big one from our perspective would be Michigan, which would happen um, five weeks after New Hampshire. And the reason for that is that it has the same kind of rules as here in New Hampshire. Um, independents can vote in the primary if they choose to, um, along with Republicans. Um, it's an open process and one that I think could be fair and competitive. Um, And so South Carolina will be a tough state for us, especially if Governor Haley's still in the race. She'll be there as the home state governor. Donald Trump has the support of most of the elected officials in South Carolina. The current governor, who was Nikki Haley's lieutenant governor, doesn't support Nikki Haley. He supports Donald Trump. Lindsey Graham doesn't support Nikki Haley. He supports Donald Trump. And Tim Scott has been scrupulously quiet since he got out of the race about who he supports. So I think South Carolina will compete, but I don't expect to win there. The next place we would go to win would be Michigan. And then Super Tuesday is the next Tuesday. So there'll be 12 states that day. So then it becomes really a TV war more than even on the ground war because it's 12 states in one day all over the country from California to Alabama. Do you have an idea of where your focus would be? California would be one of them for sure. Again, because of the same kind of rules, um, would be one of the states that we would focus on. Um, uh, Massachusetts would be another one we would focus on. So there's a number of the states that we would. But you know what? At this stage, I just want to get through the next three weeks. And, and you all are the ones that are going to help me do that. So let's get through the next three weeks, and then we'll be ready um, for the next challenge um, if we do well here. And that's what we expect to do. 
Chris Christie also released a new ad in recent days. In it, he says he made a mistake by supporting former President Trump's 2016 campaign. I have an admission to make. Eight years ago, when I decided to endorse Donald Trump for president, I did it because he was winning. And I did it because I thought I could make him a better candidate and a better president. Well, I was wrong. I made a mistake. And now we're confronted with the very same choice again. Donald Trump is ahead in the polls. And so everyone says anyone who's behind him should drop out. And we should make our choice Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden has had the wrong policies, and Donald Trump will sell the soul of this country. Neither choice is acceptable to me, and it shouldn't be acceptable to you. You see, in the end, the most important, important characteristic of any candidate for president of the United States is what's in here. The most important thing is character. President Biden is also hitting the campaign trail in the coming days. Some of the strategists behind his re-election bid spoke with reporters about his message to voters. They said he would sharpen his attacks on former President Trump, casting him as a threat to democracy. Next, some of that conversation with reporters. On Election Day 2020, Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump by more than 7 million votes and got more votes than any presidential candidate in history. The American people voted for President Biden and Vice President Harris's vision for more freedom, not less. An economy that grows from the middle out and the bottom up instead of the top down. And they voted to preserve our democracy. But on January 6, 2021, we witnessed a very different vision of America, one defined by revenge, retribution, and a rebuke of our very democracy. This Saturday will mark the three-year anniversary of when, with encouragement from Donald Trump, a violent mob breached our nation's capital. It was the first time in our nation's history that a president tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. Not even during the Civil War did insurrectionists breach our capital. But at the urging of Donald Trump, insurrectionists on January 6, 2021, did. America watched as 2,000 rioters launched a violent attack on the Capitol as our duly elected Congress carried out the sacred ritual of our republic and certified the Electoral College vote. 140 police officers were assaulted by rioters, and five people died as a result of the events on January 6th, including Capitol Police officers. When Joe Biden ran for president four years ago, he said, we are in the battle for the soul of America. And as we look towards November 2024, we still are. The threat Donald Trump posed in 2020 to American democracy has only grown more dire in the years since. There's less than two weeks until GOP primary voters begin casting ballots in Iowa, and former President Donald Trump's extreme and dangerous MAGA agenda continues to define the Republican Party. The 2024 field has made clear time and time again that they don't just accept they give their full-throated endorsement to Donald Trump's anti-democratic, anti-freedom rhetoric, and actions. With that reality comes a stark and sobering fact. The choice for voters next year will not simply be between competing philosophies of governing. The choice for the American people in November 2024 will be about protecting our democracy and every American's fundamental freedoms. 
President Biden and Vice President Harris are also expected to make campaign stops in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and South Carolina over the coming weeks. President Biden's re-election campaign also dropped a new ad this week, taking aim at the Republican frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. Next, a look at that ad, plus two ads the Biden-Harris campaign released this past week on Instagram. I've made the preservation of American democracy the central issue of my presidency. I believe in free and fair elections and the right to vote fairly and have your vote counted. There's something dangerous happening in America. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. All of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? History's watching. The world is watching. Most important, our children and grandchildren will hold us responsible. The vice president and I have supported voting rights since day one of this administration. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. America is still a place of possibilities where the power resides with we, the people. That's our soul. We are the United States of America. There is nothing beyond our capacity when we act together. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Standing here last year, I shared with you a story of American genius and possibilities. I ran for president to fundamentally change things, to make sure our economy works for everyone, so we can all feel that pride in what we do. To build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out, not from the top down. We made real progress together. And together, we did what America always does at our best. We led. Our strength is not just the example of our power, but the power of our example. Let's remember the world's watching. Democracies of the world will stand guard over freedom today, tomorrow, and forever. And those who bet against America are learning how wrong they are. It's never, ever been a good bet to bet against America. Never. We're not finished yet by any stretch of imagination. When you know what to stand for, you know what to fight for. We are prepared to fight for the right of all people to have access to the ballot, to love who they love openly and with pride. I like it. Yes. To be free from the fear of gun violence or hate. Fight, fight, fight. Long little rap. To be free to make decisions about one's own body and not having that government. And when we fight, we win. presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. officially made it onto Utah's 2024 ballot as an independent presidential candidate, his campaign announced this week. That's the first state where he's been successful in doing so after abandoning his bid for the Democratic nomination. Mr. Kennedy also released the following video ad on Instagram. 
49% of U.S. adults say they identify as independent. myself an independent candidate. I want to vote for Kennedy. He wants to bring everyone together. He's the man. He's the only one. Let's go take back our country. As C-SPAN continues its coverage of campaign 2024, our American History TV viewers over on C-SPAN 2 will be taking a look back at historic campaign speeches. Beginning Saturday, January 13th, viewers will hear speeches from campaigns past, including those of Ronald Reagan, John Edwards, John McCain, and more. Next, a preview of our first two weeks of this new series. First, a speech from Oprah Winfrey at a 2007 rally for Barack Obama. Then, we'll rewind further with part of a 2004 speech by Democrat John Kerry in New Hampshire, and another from 1996 with Republican Bob Dole. Iowa! Oh my goodness! Hello! And hello! Hello! Oh my goodness, at last I'm here! You know, so much has uh, been said about what my jumping into this arena does or does not bring to the table of politics. I really don't know. I'm going to leave that all up to the pundits who all say, you know, will it be the same influence as a book club? Will it be like the favorite thing show? I don't know about all of that. Despite all of the uh, talk, the speculation, and the hype, I understand the difference between a book club and free refrigerators. That was a nice refrigerator. I understand the difference between that and this critical moment in our nation's history. And so, and so I bathed. Yes, I did. And I got dressed to come out here for, I suspect, the same reason you did. Because I care about this country. Will you join me on Tuesday in this mission with a vote for Bob Dole? Will you take... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Will you take every friend and every neighbor who's their dole so they will vote as well? If they're not for me, don't take them. But if they're for me, vote as well. Obviously, for somebody else, call a cab. <laughs> will you stand with me to elect a conservative Republican president to work with a conservative Republican Congress in changing the face of America? The answer is yes. And that's really what it's all about. 
It's not about Bob Dole. It's not about Bill Clinton. It's not about really Republicans or Democrats. It's about fundamental change in America. It's about changing the direction of this country. It's about our hopes and our fears and our future. I want to address the hopes and aspirations. Other candidates can address the fears of American people. And there are fears. And there is uncertainty. And people don't want to lose their job. They want us to be more aggressive on trade. And we will be more aggressive on trade in a Dole administration. We will use the weapons that Congress gives us. And that will save jobs in America and create more jobs and more opportunities for all the young people here today. seen more crazy people early in the morning. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for a wonderful, warm welcome on a cold morning in New Hampshire. And thank you. <clears throat> thank you for welcoming back to New Hampshire. Come back, Kerry. I appreciate that. Last Sunday, the New England Patriots won. And one week from today, American Patriots here in New Hampshire have an opportunity to restore fairness to America and to put the American people back in charge. And that's what we're going to do. A reminder. Historic campaign speeches begin airing on American History TV on C-SPAN 2, starting at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, January 13th. This program and all of C-SPAN's campaign 2024 coverage can be found online at cspan.org slash campaign.